Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones. Hi, this is Andrew Olson. Before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you leader to leader about something important. As leaders, especially at times of rapid change and uncertainty, it's easy to live and act from a place of fear. If we're not careful, that fear can paralyze us and keep us from effectively leading at work, at home, and in every relationship. But that doesn't have to be the case. My friend Ben Straub, founder of Velocity Strategy Solutions, a growth architecture firm that helps leaders and organizations accelerate revenue and maximize impact through data-driven strategies, has just released a great new resource for leaders. It's called Eight Things Leaders Say When They Fear Change and How to Confront Those Fears. This five-page resource gives you eight of the most frequent responses we as leaders have when we experience fear and the specific steps and language that you can use to move beyond fear to action. Click the link in the episode show notes to get this resource today. You'll be a better leader tomorrow because of it. Hey, this is Andrew Olson with the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm, I'm here today with two guests. I'm with a, Amy McFeely, who's the co-founder and principal consultant, and Laura Olin, who's the organizational effectiveness consultant at Category One Consulting. They are an Omaha-based consulting firm that works with a lot of nonprofits. And we're going to talk today about crisis response planning. In fact, Category One Consulting has created a really cool, completely free crisis response planning toolkit that'll be available to every listener in our show notes after the episode. But before we get into it, to the bulk of our conversation, Amy and Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Andrew. We're happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. Hey, great to have you both here. Really interested in learning from you both. Before we get into talking about this tool that you've got and some of the other questions around that, if you could just take a, a minute and tell us a little bit more about yourselves and about what Category 1 Consulting is and what kind of work you do. Absolutely. Um, so at Category 1 Consulting, I'm often uh, we'll talk about ourselves at C1C. Um, we are an independent consulting firm located out of Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and really what our organizational mission is, um, it's pretty simple and focused, is to help organizations maximize their effectiveness. So in order to do this, uh, we help our clients by using research, analytics, and evidence-based practices to develop and implement um, completely customized and comprehensive solutions that are tailored to meet the needs of each of our, our clients and, and their organizations. Um, we've been serving organizations for about five years now um, and have eight full-time staff members who uh, serve as consultants to our clients. Um, and we provide services um, across um, many different sectors, um, primarily nonprofits. Um, we're lucky enough to get to work um, with a lot of nonprofit organizations. Um, however, we also do work um, in the education sector, government, um, as well as corporate sectors as well, too. Um, and as I said, uh, however, we're quite happy to get to do most of that work um, with nonprofit organizations. Um, we do this work um, across those different sectors, across a couple of different areas. Um, those include areas like program evaluation, needs assessment, strategic planning, um, and then um, we have backgrounds in organizational effectiveness, um, and so we do a lot of human resources consulting as well. I mean, really just in general, um, um, consulting around different evidence-based practices. Um, and as I said, although we do have those core services, one of our major focuses at C1C is providing completely customized services to our clients. 
Um, so we always want to make sure that um, each of our clients' needs are met, um, perhaps rather than providing something more off-the-shelf um, sort of product. Um, so to, in order to do that, we spend a lot of time listening to our clients up front and really throughout the entire process to make sure that we're understanding and um, getting to know those clients inside and out so that we can always make sure we're meeting their exact needs um, and we're not kind of throwing a solution out there before we really understand what the need or problem is that they're trying to solve and always aim then to really exceed those expectations um, when it comes to the way we work as well as provide our deliverables. We also really provide ourselves on being what we'd say is a one-stop shop for our clients. So we look to deliver very holistic consulting services um, that, you know, we may um, go through a bit of a needs assessment process, for example, and find out different needs an organization can have. And then we can usually help them develop those solutions right there with us. I mean, they don't have to go visit with another consultant or figure out how to do that on their own. We always are really looking to partner with our clients um, from question, answering the question that they have, providing that answer, and then um, helping them to take action on what we found out. So okay. that's a little about C1C. Great. So one of the things that I mentioned in our intro was this, this toolkit that you all have created. And I, you know, it sounds to me like, like uh, and what I've looked at it, that it's really about how to navigate through this current crisis, particularly around, you know, COVID, mm -hmm. but I, I would suspect that it's something that could be used across, you know, any kind of crisis situation. I'm, I'm curious to know what prompted you to create it and what kind of value are you hoping that it delivers for organizations? Yeah. So um, the first, I guess, first thing that kind of came to mind was uh, we know that nonprofits are absolutely critical to our communities, um, both when we're in crisis and when, when we're not in a crisis. Um, they just provide so many services and benefits to all of us, to our entire community, um, many of which a lot of people might not even be aware of. So as um, Amy had mentioned, we're lucky enough to get to consult with nonprofits and their great leadership and staff members in our day-to-day -day work. Um, and we get to see all the incredible things that they do firsthand. And uh, I think, as you know, um, nonprofits have been faced with an enormous challenge over these past few months, uh, COVID-19 has had a significant impact in changing their needs for services, threatening staff and client safety, um, and straining financial resources. So they may be kind of among um, some of the hardest hit by the pandemic, and they're the ones that are gonna have to deal with a lot of the fallout both now and in the future, um, kind of knowing that a lot of people are, their work has been hurt, um, they're gonna be people who are hurt economically, and those are the people who nonprofits tend to serve the most. So I think when all of this hit, we knew we wanted to do something and find some way to help out. And we started to think of ways we could use our skills to best do that. So, I mean, we're not frontline workers. We don't have factories where we can start creating masks or hand sanitizer or other PPE for nonprofits. Um, but what we do have is a team uh, with a strong background in organizational effectiveness. And we know a lot about what it takes to run an effective organization. So um, also through our work with nonprofits and helping them develop their strategic plans, I think we also have some valuable insights into the needs of nonprofits and where the needs may differ somewhat from for-profit organizations. So we decided to use our expertise and some of these insights to help nonprofits be able to effectively navigate this crisis. Some members of our team met with our local nonprofit a member association, the Nonprofit Association of the Midlands, to uh, talk to them about how C1C could best help and what some of our ideas were. 
And uh, what we knew was we wanted to provide something that would be beneficial for nonprofits and something that would be completely free. So we know over these past few months, nonprofits have worked hard to adjust their programs and their practices um, and processes to develop an immediate response to the pandemic um, across multiple fronts, including uh, their staff and clients and organizations. So in order to provide some ongoing support beyond this kind of immediate need that maybe they've already addressed, uh, we decided to create the completely free crisis response toolkit to help nonprofits effectively plan for and respond to the COVID-19 pandemic throughout the remainder of 2020. Um, and I guess you asked kind of what our main goal is with the tool um, and what we hope to accomplish. And it's really just uh, simply to ease the burden of planning for nonprofits. So we give them what we believe to be the top considerations nonprofit leaders should be thinking about. So they don't need to try and come up with it all on their own or worry that they may be forgetting something critical. So we want to help nonprofits be able to move forward more confidently, um, knowing that they have a plan in place. So if you could talk a little bit more about like, as a nonprofit organization, if I have access to this toolkit, what's the kind of strategic advantage that I get by applying the thinking and the methodology behind it to, to my business, my organization? Yeah, absolutely. So to give you just a little bit of an overview of what the toolkit includes, we really look at it as having two components. Um, the first piece is an online planning tool, um, which um, nonprofits can go to easily access um, and fill out. And as they fill that out or upon completion of it, they will receive a completely personalized response plan um, to, their, to their email. Um, again, upon completion of the tool. Um, I know you'll provide this as well, but it can be found at www.category1consultingthenumber.com slash backslash crisis response. Um, and really the, the framework that we use is really centered around six major areas. Um, and Andrew, I think this is really where um, nonprofits can really think, although this toolkit has been designed specifically for COVID-19 because we wanted to provide some really, really concrete steps that nonprofits could use um, to react to this crisis. I think the framework still holds quite well, um, almost no matter what crisis an organization might face. So um, if people go in and access that toolkit, they'll see that um, we really use this framework that has six major areas. Um, so the first one um, is around staff safety and security. Um, and what this area is about um, is it refers to the planning for different essential needs for workplace safety um, and really and job security as well too. Um, as we know, that's a, a really a whole other component to this um, is the, the um, risk that perhaps this has put people's jobs at um, and we want to do whatever we can to help people feel secure in, in their organization. The second piece would be around financial resources um, and this area kind of refers to organizations current um, as well as forecasted revenue, expenses, and cash flow. The third area is around um, considerations needed for potential changes to programs and services. Um, so nonprofits serve um, a lot of different people, a lot of different communities. And so this area is really referring to those primary offerings to clients um, and the community and whether and how um, those, those services might need to change um, and if they do in any sort of way. The fourth area um, would be around leadership support and communication. Um, and what this does um, is it refers to providing leaders, providing guidance on overall strategy and day-to-day -day tasks. 
The fifth area is around team success. And what this area does is it refers to strategies that um, help staff really work in this new environment and, and to be able to conduct their work successfully. And then the final area um, is really a little bit even more forward looking around strategy and planning. Um, and this is about um, you know, taking into consideration the current environment and context, any sort of planning for the broader vision or goals of the organization. So we really use that framework to provide an overall um, understanding of, of what needs to be done um, in response to this crisis. And then for each of those six areas, what we've done is provide 10 planning items that reflect common evidence-based strategies that most organizations should consider when developing an effective COVID-19 response. You'll, and really, um, as, you see, as you'll see in the tool, organizations then can take each of those six areas with the 10 items underneath each one and basically plan for when they'll do each of those items throughout the remainder of, of 2020. And we do know that, um, you know, not all of these items are going to apply to all organizations. Nonprofits are a diverse, diverse set of organizations. Um, we also know that the list of planning items really weren't meant to be exhaustive. We didn't want to overwhelm people with the amount of, of steps that could be taken for it. And we also, too, know that um, many organizations have been doing this work really since February and March and that they may have already completed some of these steps. So in addition to having the option of placing these into some different timeline categories, they also have the option to mark items maybe as not applicable to their organization. They can write in any additional planning items that are organization-specific, um, specific to their own organization, as well as maybe um, mark any items that they have completed as done. And then upon completion of the tool, we, we asked for their email address at the beginning of it um, so that really they'll get their free response plan um, that outlines that exact plan. It provides um, a several page document um, that really summarizes the steps um, in a month by month time frame. Um, and also will provide some information um, where they can enter information about the past impact that COVID-19 has had, the future impact they think it will have, and then some open-ended to hope to help to start to talk about the next steps that they're gonna be taking and the support needed for each component. It's really our thought that, you know, nonprofits can not only just use this point, this um, crisis response plan to plan um, for, the, for the rest of 2020, but also to communicate about all of the work that they've done so far. Um, there has been a lot of work done. Um, we hear that day in and day out um, with the nonprofits we work with. And it's so important to be able to communicate that to um, your funders, to your clients, um, and to your staff, and really kind of um, give yourself some props as well, too, for the amount of work that's already been done up until that point. So really, in sum, uh, we've designed this so that nonprofits can work through the online planning tool um, and will be sent a personalized crisis response plan upon completion at an email address that they provide. Um, it's really important for us to call out that um, as people use this tool, that Category 1 Consulting will never, ever share their planning entries or personalized response plan with anyone other than you, um, with anyone other than the email address that they provide. And um, so in that, your responses will remain completely confidential. Um, and then also, too, that we'll never share or sell your email address or anything like that. The only reason we collect it is so that we can send that crisis response plan at the end. That's great. So this sounds like a really comprehensive tool. I, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Is this something that you envision 
the, the primary user being like a, a nonprofit CEO? Is it the, the CFO? I mean, like who, who's the right particular, you know, audience and user for this kind of toolkit? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and so it's certainly something we discussed and, and thought about as we were, were filling this out. We really look at it as any leader um, within a nonprofit organization can use this tool, or really anybody that would just like a plan um, for their nonprofit organization. As we said, people can use this tool, mark things as not applicable if it's just not applicable to their team. Um, we do see it maybe being especially useful for executive directors and leadership within the organization, but have really set it up so that it can be completed by really anybody um, that thinks that they would like a plan and would find it to be useful. Great. Okay. So let's get really concrete if we can. I, I'd be curious to hear your perspective. You know, I, I agree with you. Planning is really important and having that, that plan is critical. But when, when crisis hits, you know, if we can think, if we can pull back to late February, early March, when, when this thing first became a major issue and organizations were, were hit in the face with it really, what, is your advice to a CEO, an executive director, a board chair, what are the top couple of things that you think an organization and a leader particularly needs to do sort of immediately in the midst of a, a kind of a rapid onset crisis to, to make sure that their organization stays healthy and focused? I guess for me, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, communication. Communication is just so critical um, and making sure you start communicating right away. Don't let people kind of sit in a panic, wondering what's going on, especially in a time of crisis. People just, they need that information quickly. Otherwise, they're going to start making assumptions on their own. So I just think during a time of crisis, people are panicking, whether they're really showing it or not. Um, and in times like these, they're worried about their safety in the workplace as well as their job security. Um, and I think it's not enough to just say we're fine. So it's also just really effective and specific communication. Um, at times like this, people need more details to help them help have the confidence during a time when everything seems so unsure. So instead of just saying we're fine, we're good, explain why you're fine, why you're good, or why you might not be. What are some of the things that you're facing? So I think it's just important to be real with your staff, be real with your clients and your funders and your board. People always hunger for genuine conversation, but I think now more, more than ever. Um, so if your organization is hurting, I think it's important to explain, again, some of those challenges you're facing, the options you're having to balance, and really pulling your team and your stakeholders into that conversation. Uh, you don't have to lead alone. Um, and we've seen examples of nonprofits and other organizations who have pulled in their team, have sought information from their staff through just open communication and the staff were able to help that leader lead, help choose um, the options that best fit the staff needs that they wouldn't have maybe found on their own if they hadn't opened up that communication. So to me, just communication up front. I think leaders may feel like there's no time to communicate all the changes that are happening, but I just think it's uh, so critical. Um, and again, communicating with your staff same goes for your board and your clients and your funders. If you're having changes to your programs, uh, making sure you're keeping those channels open, you're communicating those changes. And I think, as Amy said before, communicating your crisis response plan um, to help build confidence, uh, and especially for your funders, so they can be confident in continuing to fund you 
Um, sometimes funders' money is getting tight for them as well. So what are the ways you can make sure you're communicating effectively to help keep them investing in you? So Laura, follow up to that. What do you say to the executive director who says, I don't feel like I have any of the answers or certainly not all of the answers. And I hate the idea of standing up in front of my team and saying, I don't know. How, how do we help leaders lead through that uncertainty? Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm such a big proponent of the genuine conversation, the vulnerable conversation. I think it's what, to me, I don't want to hear someone be exceedingly confident when there's no reason for them to be. Um, so I would rather hear someone say, I don't know right now. Now is a tough time. We're doing our best, um, but being open. And I think I have more confidence in that, a genuine response of admitting that I don't know because nobody really knows right now. Um, there's a lot of questions. So I think it's maybe scary for leaders to do, but I think it's a valuable thing and it opens up that trust. Um, but also, again, just working with your leadership team, uh, doing your best to have a few answers of what are the few things that we do know that we can give these answers to, or at least explaining your thought process. What are the options you're dealing with so we don't have a concrete answer right now, but here's the things that we're having to think about. So at least letting people in on kind of the process you're dealing with, I think would be really beneficial. And what I would add there is that if you don't, people will come up with their own answers um, <laughs> to these questions. We'll talk about them amongst themselves. And now you have maybe a dozen different messages going on um, versus the one message that you really want to provide. Um, and so just because you're not checking in with staff and telling them what's going on doesn't mean that they're not trying to figure this stuff out for themselves. Um, and so often it is a worse case scenario sort of mindset, um, because that's kind of a protective sort of factor for people. Um, and certainly probably not the message that you want to be getting across. That's a great point. So on that same topic for a second, and I know I've personally been guilty of this with my teams in the past, you know, I, I tend to deliver information and then feel like I can say, okay, I've checked that box. Information's been delivered. We can move on to the next thing, right? Talk, if you can, a little bit about the frequency of communication that's needed, particularly in a crisis situation. Like, what, what does that need to look like? Yeah, I mean, Amy, you can chime in too. I think for sure having weekly uh, touch bases with your staff um, and especially, I think, in the early stages of a crisis when things are changing so rapidly, making sure you're having weekly communication, probably with all of your stakeholders, putting out a small message to um, maybe funders and clients because things are updating so rapidly. But I would definitely say weekly, just touching base. It's not just, again, giving information, but also opening up channels to receive information to make sure, as Amy said, sometimes people make assumptions or they may misunderstand what you communicated. So making sure those channels back remain open too, so that you can clear the air if a staff member maybe misunderstood something you're saying and now they're really worried about something that maybe they don't need to be worried about. Um, and so making sure you can get that information from them and help clear up any misunderstandings. But I definitely say for me, weekly, weekly check-ins is probably a good cadence. Yeah, I would agree with that. And probably 
providing that in multiple channels. Um, so as much as you can, providing information for the first time in a more face-to-face -face or virtually face-to-face -face anyway, um, sort of format. Um, you could also send emails um, to relate to it. I think probably one of the most important things is for staff to know when am I going to get information again? Um, they can expect when it is that they're going to be hearing from those leaders. And they take a lot of, of comfort um, in the, when they feel like, okay, I'll be hearing from my leader again on Monday because um, she's providing regular updates um, on it on it then. And so again, that's going to really keep people from feeling like, well, we haven't heard anything in however long. Um, if they know when they'll be hearing that, um, it just allows them, I think, to have um, a little bit more um, feel like they have some control, I suppose, over the situation. And then again, not be trying to come up with maybe their own answers. Okay, that's really helpful. Yeah, the, the idea of sort of calendaring that communication cadence makes a lot of sense. That's, that's a really good insight. So, you know, one of the things that, that we talk about in my business in, in the fundraising world, and we do a lot of is campaign preparedness, right? So we, we do a lot of disaster response fundraising for international organizations and things like that. We, would, we will oftentimes build entire fundraising campaigns and just sit them on the shelf. So we know, okay, if a hurricane happens, if a fire happens, you know, nobody really guesses pandemic, so we didn't have one for that. But, you know, if those things take place, it doesn't take six weeks or, or four months to spin up a campaign and, and be in market. We can do that in, you know, pretty rapid succession over, you know, maybe a five-day period, right? Uh, and that helps organizations make sure that their funding stream stays uh, turned on at, at the highest velocity possible during a crisis. What other kinds of things, and maybe this is part of what the tool gets at for organizations, but what are some other concrete areas where you would say an organization should, you know, build something in advance, right? You know, create XYZ tool or process or product in advance so that you could just pull it off the shelf and use it. And, and, and sort of on that same note, how do we help organizations justify the investment of mm -hmm. doing that work up front when it's not quote unquote necessary, right? Mm -hmm. Talk us through that if you can. Absolutely. So I, I would probably talk in, in maybe two major areas, and one is um, very related to what you just talked about, and that is really financial preparedness um, and having a full understanding of your finances at any point in time um, during crisis or not. Um, so you want to make sure that you have the right financial processes in place. Um, specifically, you should really know your planned revenue, um, expenses, and cash um, flow by month, I ideally. And really, as you move into crises, again, or not, um, you should have an understanding of what the stability of those different revenue sources are. Um, and then potentially on the expenses side, um, expenses that could come up in the future that maybe aren't being anticipated. Um, as I think about the COVID-19 pandemic, probably nonprofits have some costs that they weren't anticipating, for instance, for cleaning supplies or for personal protective equipment and need to be really taking into account that, that these extra expenses that might come about. Ideally as well, too, I think you would have some kind of um, base case, best case, and worst case cash flow scenarios um, as well, too. Um, and knowing what these are are going to really help um, prepare and, and I think kind of stay ahead of the game when it comes to identifying what those financial gaps might be um, across several different situations. And really then, once you know, yes, there's gaps in this area or they're not, 
um, it's so much easier to then take steps to be able to close them. Um, and you can close those by reducing costs um, or increasing revenue, um, such as things like fundraising or, or different grants as you talked about. And then again, um, getting back to the communication of piece, piece of things, um, being able to communicate those out. Um, and in these times, perhaps more than ever, it feels very, very important to um, be especially transparent um, with what you've determined. The second piece that I would talk about uh, would be actually developing a crisis management plan. Um, so I think many nonprofits maybe realized when the COVID-19 pandemic hit that they didn't have a crisis management plan in place, that they were having to kind of deal with things right as, as they were coming in. Um, and really that a crisis management plan can help determine um, how do we need to react to and deal with the unexpected Again, whether that's a natural disaster, a pandemic like this one, or maybe just a more of an internal crisis that an organization is specifically affecting them. Um, as you know, crises um, often come when we're least expecting them. Um, and so when you have a management plan in place, it's going to make it much more likely um, that you're going to be able to deal with that crisis and make it much less likely that some kind of catastrophe um, would occur because of it. Um, of course, we know that each crisis is going to be different. Um, you know, the way an organization is going to deal with a hurricane is going to be very different from how they're going to be dealing with a pandemic. Um, however, there are certainly plans that organizations can put into place to really jumpstart um, and allow them to pivot quickly um, and really be able to navigate really any crisis that might come. Um, so it, although our, our um, crisis response toolkit is specific to COVID-19, again, I think that six-component framework really holds no matter what crisis it is, crisis it is we're talking about. So um, no matter what crisis it is, we still really think organizations should be focusing on those six major areas. Um, again, safety and security, financial resources, programs and services, leadership support and communication, team effectiveness, effectiveness and strategy and planning. Um, as organizations think about how to do this, there are a lot of different templates um, available out there. I, even a Google search um, can provide um, a lot of guidance for how a nonprofit could start to develop a crisis response plan. Um, I also would say that too, a very important component is that after the crisis subsides somewhat, we really recommend that organizations do a bit of an after action review. So let's take a look back, see what we did, um, understand what went well, what didn't go so well, um, and talk to those different organizational stakeholders to certainly get their input on that from your staff, board, funders, um, all those different groups. So that um, when it came to dealing with that crisis, you can learn from it and know how to do even better next time um, because that's really going to help organizations perhaps to be even more prepared in the future. So follow up to that real quick with a, sort of a single scenario crisis. I don't even know if that's the right term, but like a fire or a hurricane or an earthquake or something like that, it would make sense to me, you know, maybe after the dust settles a couple of weeks or, or a month after that you do that sort of after action analysis with something like a pandemic, like we're in right now, where it's, you know, I think you said before we started recording 86 days since your team has been face to face with one another, right? Do you recommend that there's sort of a, a interval where you do multiple analyses or is it really like a let's, you know, push through until we get to the end and then at that point look back and talk about what we've done well or what we could have done better? Absolutely, yeah. I think that can depend on the organization. Um, certainly, I think that 
it's probably best done. I mean, an after action review is going to be the most useful when we can be really specific about the action it is that we're talking about there, um, perhaps versus waiting until the very end. Um, at that point, the problem is quite large. I um, mean, the actions we've taken were a lot. Um, and so it can be difficult then to really assess how did things go and, and maybe what didn't go so well. So I do see a lot of value as organizations are able to checking in on that on a more of an ongoing sort of basis and trying to focus somewhat those after action reviews. But then again, uh, people are, you know, extremely busy right now. Um, and I think oftentimes an after action review gets skipped or forgotten about because we're just so happy that we're out of this crisis. We don't even want to maybe think back. So almost anything would be better maybe than um, doing nothing at all. But I think ideally, um, seeing um, the, an opportunity to do that more on a regular basis as even you're exiting, hopefully, that crisis. Yeah, that's helpful. Final question here for you. Help us help leaders grapple with the idea of doing upfront work like that, where they might not see an immediate return, they might not ever see a return, right? Talk to us about why it's a worthwhile investment of time and potentially dollars and what, um, you know, sort of what's the trade-off that they're making in either doing it or not doing it. Well, and I think that last piece of your question is exactly it. Um, the trade-off of not doing it and needing it at a later date far exceeds the kind of the cost of what it might take to do that process perhaps in the first place. We develop crisis response and management plans hoping we're never going to have to use them. And I think that's kind of the point of it. Um, and it's ready there for you um, whenever, whenever you need it. Um, and as I think about um, people's confidence in organizations, the board and funders and staff, you share that stuff with them. Um, make them feel like we are prepared no matter what happens. I think especially post-COVID-19, people will understand that, um, the need to be prepared. Um, and so, um, again, I think even though you may never use it, and again, you may not hope you never have to use it, the benefits of being able to react quickly and pivot quickly um, far outweigh the, the amount of time that it, that it would take to put something like that together. Or would you add anything there? Yeah, I think I'd just add, again, I think we see with COVID-19 how painful it probably was for a lot of organizations to not have a plan in place. And so hopefully that should encourage people to see it, how worthwhile it is to do something upfront because it's a lot more painful in the moment to be dealing with kind of these immediate needs while still trying to plan and figuring out how to address them versus having a plan as you go into it. And I think I'd also add like some of the things that you can do upfront, they can also be valuable to you even without a crisis. So. I think some of the other things that came to mind is, again, uh, communication, making sure you have a communication plan to effectively communicate, and that's a communication plan you can use at all times of what are our different communication channels with our different stakeholders. How do we communicate with our staff? How do staff communicate back to us? How do we communicate with our clients or our funders or our board? Um, so that's something that can be valuable at all times, and then you can tweak it in a time of crisis to better address crisis communication, um, and also things like engagement surveys. Employee engagement surveys um, are extremely valuable at all times uh, to invest in your human capital and to understand what makes them engage and finding out what aspects of work are most valuable to them. Um, so this is something you can use whether a crisis hits or not. 
um, of just how do we continue to leverage our people? How do we continue to build their engagement in our organization? But then at the same time, uh, when a crisis hits, you have that information um, and you can look to see at the survey if a staff indicated that their relationship with their team is extremely critical for their engagement, then you know um, creating time and space for team communication through the crisis is going to be really valuable. And if they indicate that the meaningfulness of their work is important to them, then you can help reiterate the importance of what they're doing for the community during the time of crisis to help maintain that engagement. And also, I just think, yeah, employee engagement surveys um, or other means of employee feedback can be such a valuable source of information. And it's one of those things that is valuable without a crisis, but also you can leverage that information during a crisis to help tailor your response. So there's a lot of things that organizations can do um, that you can make valuable at all times. And then there's a few things that maybe it's a little more money up front, but again, we've experienced the pain of not having it up front and hopefully kind of using this experience to try to be better prepared. And hopefully you don't need it, but at least you'll have it and you won't have to go through kind of the same pain a lot of people have faced recently. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful insight. Thank you. Thank you both for being here. I appreciate you sharing with us your, your thoughts and experience around planning for crises and the strategy around that. If somebody that's listening to this wants to get access to the toolkit again, what's that URL? Yep. Um, they can go to www.category1, the number, consulting.com backslash crisis response. Great. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And then uh, what's the easiest way for people to get a hold of you directly if they have questions or want to follow up? Yes, absolutely. Um, so um, we can be reached um, probably the most direct way um, would be at our email addresses. Um, mine specifically is Amy McFeely at Category 1 Consulting. Laura's is Laura Olean at Category 1 Consulting um, as well. They can also go to our website. We have a contact tab up there as well. And they can fill a form out um, and it will get sent to us as well. So a couple different pretty direct ways. Awesome. Thank you again both for being here. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.